Welcome to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge created to educate, inspire, and connect the subscription e-commerce space. We recently hosted ChargeX 2022, Recharger's annual user conference focused on the future of e-commerce, where we were able to sit down with merchants, partners, and industry veterans live on site to hear their biggest learnings of 2022 and how they are strategizing for growth into the future. I'm your host, Chase Alderton, so let's get into it. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Electric. So I'm the founder and CEO of Electric Marketing. We are a lifecycle marketing and retention agency, primarily focused on the Shopify ecosystem. Uh, we work with uh, Clavio and Attentive primarily to build out our email and SMS programs. And then we also have a large web design and development team. So those are really our two core focuses. And then we also have some complementary services like uh, SEO and content and organic social. But everything that we do is about creating best in class customer experiences because that's in turn improves retention and increases LTV. Spot on. So I know today that you're, you're bringing kind of a unique idea that you want to talk through. So talk to me about it. Yeah, so I mean, historically, we've been seeing pretty low adoption rates for brands that we work with who utilize points-based loyalty programs. Okay. And I think it's because and there's a there's a lot of reasons that I am I'm making assumptions on here, but there's so many Shopify stores that went and downloaded an app, and now they all have these points-based programs. Right. And most of them are half-baked and they weren't thought through and they were just downloaded and the thought was somehow people are going to use it now, which doesn't check out. Second is, what does a thousand points actually mean? For one brand, that could be very valuable. For another brand, a thousand points could literally be worth a penny. You could and just so, 10x or 100x and just make the points seem like they're really big. Exactly. So there's a lot of customer confusion from the get-go. Like, what am I actually even getting with this? And then third is friction. There's so much friction. You have to remember you have points, go into your account, redeem it, you get a voucher, then you have to make sure to apply it to your checkout. It's even worse if you're a subscription customer because if I'm a subscription customer, just have it happen automatically. Like you're telling me I got 2,000 points now, so I get $20 off. Why is it on me to go in, get the code, drop it into my recharge portal? Just have it happen automatically. Especially because you know there's a date and time, a very specific date and time when that charge is gonna be run anyway. Right. So having to remember to go in there, log into your portal, apply that, and then hope that it still transfers through that next order is exhausting. Exactly. And for us, it's all about reducing friction for the customer. Right. And then you also miss out on the surprise and delight aspect too with, with a points-based program. So what we've been doing is building what I've been calling just like manual loyalty programs. <laughs> okay. So in Clavio, in Recharge, we will basically set rules. So let's say we want to do it up to 12 orders. Or you could you could do the same for uh, dollar amounts too. Like customers over 250 are in this tier. Customers okay. over 500 are this. Customers over 1,000 are this. But the triggers are, you can just do it in Clavio. So as soon as order number two hits, include a free shirt. As soon as order number three hits, automatically take $5 off the order. As soon as order number six hits, you get a merch box. Order number 12, completely free. So all of that can just be built in the back end. And then you can not only use that as promotional material for the customer on your subscription landing page or whatever it may be, but then you're constantly reinforcing it through every transactional email. So we have like conditional blocks in our transactional emails where if it's order number two for you, it shows what you're getting in order number three. If it's order number three for you, it's reinforcing what you're gonna get in order number four. And so the retention rates we've been seeing are just skyrocketing because customers don't have to do anything now. It's just 
wow, of course I'm going to stay on for order number six. I have this coming automatically. You just told me exactly what's going to be in the box, and I definitely want it. So right. I've, I'm absolutely staying retained. Exactly. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then all this stuff just plugs automatically into all the different features you use. So, like, if you're including a free shirt, that just ports into your warehouse, and you make sure that the next box you pack exactly. includes that shirt for it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And if there's any, like, fringe cases, we can always utilize Shopify Flow for, like, order tagging or to bracket our customers so that the 3PL knows what to do with that order. But it's, I think, for me, it's definitely been the way to go because there, there is so much friction, I find, with the points-based programs. And especially for, we have one uh, company in particular who has like a single hero product that's, uh, you subscribe to it, okay. and that's the main SKU. And so we have that program for that particular item. And so we can do things like order number six, now as opposed to $40 every month, you're now at $35 a month forever forever just in in perpetuity right and then as soon as you hit order number 12 it actually ships completely free and we're able to do that because it's a single hero SKU that drives the majority of their business and revenue and if you're a customer of theirs you're a subscription customer for that product so, so you're not doing any sort of skipping or swapping or anything crazy on the back end with SKUs right you're literally just kind of discounting or adding or doing whatever it is exactly. based on that one one single SKU yeah this will work across other SKUs though if you're doing a subscription box yeah. or if you're doing you know uh, an item that changes month over month it's it's still fairly easy to kind of move these things yeah. around and there's different rewards that you can do as well totally. that work with companies that have a larger catalog you just have to think about how can you make it work with your existing tech stack. You don't always have to just keep adding a bunch of different tools to, to try and make it work. You know, we're, we're here at ChargeX. We're talking with uh, a bunch of the, the agencies and partners who are here attending the event. Um, on the main stage earlier, there were a lot of conversations about what to do with inventory with all the issues going on. Mm -hmm. um, I see that this is probably a way that you could fold that in as well. If you have extra inventory, old boxes, you know, new products, whatever it ends up being, this is a great way to fold something in like that as well that feels surprise and delight to the customer. Yeah. But to you, it's, you know, part of it is liquidating your inventory that you don't need anymore. Right. And also just more product discovery, more brand adoption. Like, it's never a bad thing for your customer to get additional product in other categories when they're not even paying for it. So you're just automatic, especially if you're a company that has a bunch of different um, verticals. Like, we work with Soylent, and they have very distinct product categories, and a lot of their customers only shop one product category. So, like, right. how do you get them trying other things? Because if they try other categories, AOV is going to go up, lifetime value is going to go up. So that product discovery is really important and crucial to embed within your, your loyalty program. That data is really interesting that a lot of subscribers of Soylent only work on one product category. So you're saying like they one they only do shakes, so they only do right. powders, or they only do bars or things like that. Exactly. And it's hard to get them going across, which yeah. even though it's the same brand, seems like that's something that should be happening. Yeah. So you put in a bar, or you put in a, a you know a, a trial of a protein pack or whatever it is. Exactly. And have them thinking, okay, this is something that I could end up doing, and then you broaden their horizons. Yeah, and it's such a low cost too. I mean, you ordered the powder. Okay, great. Let's just throw one bar in there. Like, okay, worst case, you just don't like it, and you don't. No harm, no foul. I mean, you're not paying for right. it. So that, I mean, for me, it seemed interesting, but then I start to think about how I consume from brands. And most of the time, I'm not shopping the full collection. Like right. I go to a brand for a very specific thing. So it's an interesting use case. Absolutely. Closing out here, give me a piece of advice to a brand who is trying to scale and you're not allowed to use SMS in your description. Not allowed to use SMS. Not allowed to use SMS. Oh, goodness. Um, it's going to sound a little fluffy, but just think about how you would want your experience to be with your brand if you were a customer. Like, I think people overcomplicate things, 
every, all of us, we're all consumers. So just think about the best brand experiences you've had and how you'd like to emulate that for your company. And a lot of the times it comes down to personalization. And totally. to personalize, you need to have data. So you need to have zero party data aggregation efforts in place. So just think about how personalization could better improve your customer journey. And then from there, go and figure out how to get the data. Awesome. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Chelsea, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chase. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Chelsea and Rachel. Yes, so I am grateful to be um, here. I'm a co-founder of Chelsea and Rachel Company, and we are a full-service agency with strategy, leads into UX, UI design, leads into custom development work, a lot in subscription um, for brands in the food, beverage, wellness, and beauty space. Amazing. One of our top agency partners in the Recharge Network, so we're very happy to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. So we are hanging out at ChargeX 2022. Uh, a lot of really interesting conversations happening, kind of blending the past and the future. Everyone is kind of tired of the whole COVID conversation. So we're looking forward, we're trying to figure out how are merchants now and how are customers battling this idea of subscription fatigue? So mm. we'll start there. What's, what's your idea of battling this? Well, first off, I love looking forward, like I'm chief visionary at the agency, but it really is so important when you look at subscription fatigue is how would you deal with it as a user? Like I buy lots of subscriptions and I'm over so many of them, right? right. But what makes it over it is usually there's no more surprise and delight. There's no more interest of something different and new. It's just the same thing all the time and it feels monotonous. So you really have to like combat that by adding in new details, whether it's a different insert or it's a surprise little gift of some sort, or it's like, hey, did you know this? Like you wanna make sure you're engaging with them just like a relationship. So I always like to even say that in terms of subscription ability needs to be like relationships, like in the sense of this is your relationship with your customer. How are you actually engaging that within a product? Are you saying like, how are you doing today? In like a weird way that makes sense for you as a brand, but those little things go a long way and the details really matter. Absolutely. I, uh, I likened a subscription to a relationship yesterday on, a, on an episode here. So uh, I think the, the metaphor is landing a little bit. Perfect. Um, that's very cool. I, I've always said that I think education is a big piece that people miss in subscriptions and in mm -hmm. boxes. I think that's a really great piece for it. If you keep sending the same thing over and over again, there's an element that you can add in there of like, here's how to use this, or here's a creative way to make this different, or here's something that's kind of unique and interesting. Um, and in your same metaphor, you know, if you're taking your date out to the same restaurant every week, going to get boring. It's going to get old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Freshen things up a little bit. You do. And I think there's a balance, right? Because you also have people that love routine and love the same concept. Like I had a grandfather that would go to the same little cafe and have his coffee and eggs every morning or something. You know, you have like nostalgia, which is important to kind of have on consistency, but then you have to have interest of what still engages you, what is going to be. And we're in, you know, a post pandemic ish age where everybody is on screens all the time or has been and just inundated with it. Like uh, there's a stat that your phone won't be more than three feet away from you for like the rest of your life. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. So if the only way to combat that is to, to really be like, to play both sides of that. Like how do you have nostalgia of this is consistent, this is my product that's good all the time and add in the fun of the creativity, like a relationship, like, hey, did you know about this? And I think it's really important as brands look ahead of this, that we also think larger of the impact of education. So you brought up education that's so critical but think in terms of like like giving a gift or think in terms of how can you you pass this on or be generous like there's this component of of just being good humans to good humans in a brand setup that's really important 
I think you're spot on. So then let's kind of take that next step as, as big profits as we are. We'll try to predict the future here. But what's how do you, so how do you kind of fold this stuff in as we move forward into the rest of 2022, the second half? Is this a customer portal thing? Is this just is, you know, as simple as adding something into your box mm-hmm. and then your products? Like what, are, what are some solutions? I think it's both. I think the best brands are the ones that look at their customer journey often and are always trying to figure out ways to improve it. White glove service is important, right? There's a reason people will pay more for fancy cars versus not, or fancy hotels versus not. You have to think of it in the same way though as your brand. Like how are you really engaging and caring within your space and what does that look like? Um, And then delivering on that. So it, it really has to be twofold. Like you're sending a package to somebody on subscription can you add a little surprise and delight thing that makes it where, oh, I really do want to stay on this long term because this is something I look forward to rather than, oh, this is just another thing that's hitting my credit card. So you said customer journey, customer experience. How, how often do those actually change? Is mm-hmm. it is a brand, should they be looking at this thing every couple of weeks, every couple of months, every year or so? Like how quickly do you talk about, you know, the customer supposed to do X, Y, Z and they get to their next box and they do the next thing? Where, where are the, the lines there of how, how quickly you develop into the next thing? Yeah, it's such a great question. So honestly, it's changed over time. Like the pandemic made it change much faster because everyone is on their screens all the time and figuring out stuff and you had to up-level your customer journey. I would say right now though, it's kind of leveled out. You do need to, to relook at things. If you haven't looked at them often, then start in that three-week cadence. If you have and you know kind of consistently, I would do like uh, bi-monthly like changeover and relook at things, especially as you're getting into different seasons. We have to remember as humans, we're dealing with seasons in nature, right? There's seasons in e-commerce as well. So if we don't adapt our user flow to that, then we'll be missing out. So then seasons is another really interesting one. Do you have to play a game of of shipping based around seasons or can you continue to work with your products and just kind of hope that they, I feel like it's kind of a product question. Yeah. Product kind of blend seasons or do you need to blend seasons? Or is there something that you're trying to ride out and make sure that everything works out smoothly? I think, it's, I think it's a case-by-case basis a little bit with each brand because some are more seasonal than others, right? But I do think it's something that you have to be aware of. Shipping is always going to be a challenge within that. And we have to look at the, the components of what does that look like in terms of the seasons, right? Like so in food and beverage, if you have a, a product line, let's say that has chocolate, it's harder in the summer, right, on your shipping. So maybe you have to look at giving more lost cause to shipping at that point to keep your customer base where in the winter it's not in the same scenario. But there's a lot of nuances in that. I think what's just really important for brands to think of, just as we as humans need to reset or have sleep or have different things, brands need to have some of that cadence too. Yes, you have an online D2C that can sell 24-7 and all of those pieces. But if you look at your sales, there's going to be spikes at different times of the day, just like there's going to be spikes in different seasons. And it's important to understand that and then put your foot on the gas when that time comes. Putting your foot on the gas is such a good metaphor. That's what I was going to say. Is, is, is there a time where you're supposed to kind of pull back, take a week or so, and try to figure out what's our plan for the next three months? What's our plan for the next six months? Yep. You know, Black Friday is coming up. Obviously, not immediately, but you need to start planning for those kind of things in April, May, June to make sure you're ready for that. Are there moments where you're allowed to kind of pull your foot off the gas and then know that, okay, now it's time to go. Let's put your foot back on the gas. Yeah. I always say um, you need to be looking ahead strategically. And the brands that have done this best with us have done that in that cadence. So if they know this might be a slower cadence or maybe they're waiting on some supply chain things or it's just a lower time uh, in business sales in general, then you have to restructure and look ahead at that so that you can make these pushes count. The beautiful thing with e-commerce is you can have sales skyrocket in a short amount of time if done properly, but you've got to do the planning beforehand. And people 
think the planning sometimes is what they can skate by on. And really that's so important. Planning and strategy ahead of this is what makes the brands that really succeed successful uh, a parent to the ones that are just trying things and testing it out. It's such a good point. I want to double down on it really quickly. We live in the social media world where you post something on social media, whatever it is, and everyone thinks, oh, you're an overnight success. But you don't see that six to 12 months prior that you were planning the strategy, figuring things out and A-B testing. Mm -hmm. So when the time comes, it looks like it was an overnight success. But it really has been strategy and planning all along. And I think that's where, where you're thriving at Chelsea and Rachel. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, that's the key thing that we started from the beginning. We've been in business over seven years. And when Rachel and I started it, um, and now we've grown to 30 staff members, it's based on that piece like strategy needs to be and the planning needs to be what impacts UX UI design and custom development if you don't do that then you're literally just jumping over something and you're going to cause more problems in the future and I know every brand that's listening to this if they have like components everyone has a story of some web or dev issue or problem in tech that's broken but usually that has come from a, a poor pre-planning purpose there's always going to be things that happen but if you can plan ahead and have like a, a strategy for the different scenarios it makes it a lot easier. Final question. We're talking a lot about second half of 2022. How do you see everything changing? Do you think supply chain is getting better, getting worse? What do you think some of the problems or some of the solutions are going to be in the second half of this year? Ooh, great question. I think I think there are some things that are getting worse just based on, um, on needs, costs, inflation. All of that is a lot in the economy and that impacts everything, right? Um, but I also think there's a lot of opportunity. In every historical downturn, there has been so much opportunity. This is when people shine. I think it's also more opportunity for humans to shine on a leadership level and an ability to actually like take their brand to the next level and not let the pressures like crush them. It's easy for anybody in a bull market or in all these things to just sell. Like we saw this this huge spike in subscription, right? You could put something online, sell it for during the pandemic. It's just going to sell. It's just going to sell. But that's not the case now. Like that's a great run. We need to be like, have the learnings for them. But the consistency factor is what's really important. And the subscriptions that are consistent and talking to their customers often and re-engaging with them, they are the ones that are winning. And they're winning by like significant numbers to back it. Absolutely. I think it's a fantastic way to close. Very optimistic. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, Chase. Marcus, thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Trellis. My name is Marcus Onishan. I work at Trellis as an account strategist. We are a full-service digital agency based out of Boston. Myself, uh, I come from a design and project management background. Uh, also a drummer, part-time, uh, or have been my whole life, basically. Uh, and sandwich enthusiast. I love uh, talking, making, eating sandwiches. Sandwich enthusiast is a new one I haven't heard. That's yeah. Really good. I feel like a lot of people here can connect with that. Um, <laughs> And I'd rather talk about sandwiches uh, with a little e-commerce thrown in. All, you right. Know? <laughs> All right. We'll see what we can do. Well, I know today we want to talk uh, personalization from a high level. Yeah. So I'll give you the floor and maybe work in a sandwich reference or two because now I'm hungry. Ooh, I'm up for that challenge. All right. So, yeah, there's been a lot of conversation here specifically at this Retouch Conference about personalization and that user journey um, and really the importance and the value of that versus uh, a generalized approach, right? So... Tools like Rebuy or Octane. So Octane is a product quiz platform, which helps kind of have a more of a curated user experience, you know? So implementation points could be a pop-up modal on the homepage or could be an, an, an embed on an actual page. Um, you know, really asking a small set of questions, four or five questions, recommending a product at the end, offering a small discount code, capturing their email there. That ties directly into Clavio. Um, and then using Clavio segments to further segment and personalize that experience. Uh, so you're not sending out those general buckets of here's a product that we're offering 
you know, and, and I'm generalizing intentionally because it applies across all brands. Um, and then rebuy on the front end as far as PDP, cart, Shopify plus checkout, really having that intelligent engine that's running in the background. So we could dive into this and we could do so much content here. <laughs> Seriously. Back up a little bit and just kind of take piece by piece a little bit. Yeah. Um, so so there's there's a lot of ways to sell subscriptions, obviously. You can sell any product at any time. Seasonality comes into play, all that kind of stuff. Right. But if you're talking about building a brand, which you know at ChargeX 2022, a lot of the conversations have been around building a brand, being personalized. You're really, really nailing everything here. So let's just go a little slower. So, mm-hmm. so Octane, um, putting a quiz up on the front. What's the purpose here? Trying to figure out, you know, if you're selling shirts, you know, yep. usually wear long sleeve, you wear short sleeve, are there buttons? Are there yeah. Not? Instead of just saying, here's all our shirt catalog, purchase something. Right. Think of it as a way, just like collections, right? You're grouping, you're categorizing, you're filtering pre Pre-done, basically, in a way. So the the objective of a quiz, obviously, is, you know, skincare brand is a great example. What's your skin type? Are you dry? Are you oily? Right? Like, that's a pretty topical one. Um, And then on top of that, sports brands, right? So if I'm from Boston, do you like Boston Red Sox? Okay, so I'm not going to show you any Yankees things, right? That's for me, please. Right, exactly. So uh, another example there. So really, it's to uh, almost like you're talking to the, the user on the front end. Um, and asking those, them those set of questions to really narrow down and, and dive into the specific product set. Cool. So then once you have this product recommendation, ideally it's personalized, it's tailored to exactly what the customer wants. Right. Now you start talking about Clavio, pulling things in the flow. So dig a little bit more into that. Yeah. So in Clavio, and uh, I'm definitely no Clavio expert, but you know, at the basic high level, you're pulling in these email addresses because you're giving them that 10% discount code or whatever it may be. So thanking them for, you know, answering those five questions because no one wants to sit there on the website, you know, but uh, it'll alleviate a few clicks, right? So they're in Clavio now. You have them segmented or tagged or however you want to kind of categorize it. Um, And now you can target market specific content to them. So in those specific campaigns, I I know that uh, this person has chose Boston Celtics. So I'm not going to put Los Angeles Lakers or any other content that may not be applicable or products that may not be applicable to you in your sell all those things. Absolutely. Teams or whatever it is. Right. But now you can have smaller segmented and targeted campaigns, which will result in a higher conversion rate because of that. It's amazing. Okay. So now we've covered most of the front end. So you get onto the site, you do these quiz, found your perfect subscription. We're pulling into Clavio. So we're doing some of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you mentioned rebuy. So we're getting cross sales, upsells, things like that. Yeah. So I feel like that's definitely a huge missed opportunity with a lot of merchants that that we've seen. Um, And that's where we can provide value to our clients. Um, And even if you're just on your own as a merchant is having a more powerful engine like rebuy in the background, gathering all this data, gathering the profiles and sort of building the the profiles of your users here. Um, A lot of merchants are like, you know, we'll just use uh, product tags and Shopify and great, cool. But when you start to scale, it doesn't scale well. Um, so we've had merchants start like that, and it's worked very well. And then they're like, now we have 500,000 product SKUs. We can't manually adjust every product tag and stuff. So, And there's a lot of robust features in Rebuy to do dynamic rules and all that sort of really nerdy stuff if you really want to do a deep dive into it. But even at the most basic level, um, just setting it up and gathering data. So now you're letting data drive your decisions versus your subjective thoughts of, well, I think this is what's working. And uh, we saw Gymshark do it three months ago and it's worked for them or, you know, insert other reference competitor here. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's really interesting, and, and I, I don't think that support was brought up uh, in that first dive. Mm -hmm. Support's another one. Once you have all this data, and once you understand who your customers are, yep. it's a lot easier to target exactly their, their frustrations or the issue, whatever it ends up being. Yep. So another plug would be gorgeous, right? Like right. they're super robust where, you know, the, all of the Shopify order number comes in. Basically, their whole profile comes in right in that little chat window, you know, and of course it crosses the... It goes across the social media channels. So they're a, a more robust kind of touch point as well. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to sound uh, high in the clouds and fluffy, but, you know, we're all humans. We're all people. There's people um, on the other side that are buying your products. So treat them like humans, you know, and, and have that humanistic approach. Um, and it helps kind of drive that experience by kind of making their lives a little bit easier. So you're not asking what the order number is, or you're not asking uh, what their favorite team may be and that type of thing. You know, uh, you have all of that data already um, for yourself to kind of help leverage, you know, and it's better user experience overall. Totally. So, so we put kind of the whole package together. Totally understand that. Um, give me maybe like a creative way or two that you can take personalization to a next level. Uh, maybe it's an unboxing experience. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something pre or post purchase, something like that. What's what's a creative use case of here? Yeah, that you touched on a really couple good points. I think it's very uh, situational and business specific, right? Um, but mystery boxes are great. I think that's came up a few times here yep. at the conference. Um, so I'm sure a lot of a lot of merchants will be coming out with some mystery boxes soon. Those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pre and post purchase, um, especially in your post purchase emails, I think there's a lot of, again, a missed opportunity there. Um, even in your order confirmation emails, you know, there's so many different transactional touch points that merchants just leave as the default. And maybe they're not aware that those could be customized and have a lot of the, the rebuy implementations to do upsells and cross-sells right in your, your email templates there. And it's super easy to integrate. And the rebuy team is obviously there for support. Um, and it's, it's so easy to implement. And it's very overlooked. So that's a really good point there. This is one that I've been preaching about for years, and it still confuses me why people don't take advantage of these. Yeah. All of those touch points, all those transactional touch points, to be very clear. They're like, hey, your credit card's about to be charged for your next order. Right. Or, you know, hey, we have it packaged and it's about to be shipped. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, hey, your package was delivered. All of those things. They don't need to be standard black and white, boring, just transaction emails. Yeah. There's always value you can provide. So it doesn't matter what you're selling. Let's use sandwiches. Let's go back to the top. Yep. So you're selling some sort of sandwich kit, and I don't know how you would do the shipping and all that. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's an educational piece of like, here's a brand new thing that we've seen from this cool chef, and here's how you make the sandwich. Yeah. Or, you know, here are the knives that some of the top chefs are using. Maybe check these out on a side, you know, uh, on a different side or something like that. Yep. There are all those opportunities for education, for interaction, for personalization mm -hmm. uh, that are, that are totally getting overlooked. Yeah, that's a great sweet spot to kind of hit. Right? Is like there's a missed opportunity with the transactional emails and that's very overlooked, but there's a way to constantly be providing that value um, and having it be in an upsell cross sell kind of sales Absolutely. way, but not in an upfront, Hey, here's some other products you'd like. Like right. you're saying, here's, here's a link to the blog post with the recipe on it for this sandwich, or here's how to make the spread you're going to put on your sandwich with this kit, you know? So adding that uh, contextual support, I guess, you know, um, and, or even if it's like sizing guides, pricing, uh, sizing guides for apparel and things like that. We noticed you ordered this product. Here's some other things that you may want to know about it. Uh, or here's how to assemble the product. Um, some extra links. Basically just being overly helpful in a way, um, but, but kind of peppering in those potential upsells and cross-sells. I think you're absolutely spot on. Thanks. A lot of what we talk about is, is kind of how to build your site and is kind of advice, but let's go strictly to advice. A uh, piece of advice that you give to a brand who is scaling, maybe go outside of personalization. Let's mm -hmm. do something creative. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I want to kind of keep it general, you know, and high level to, so it apply to a lot of merchants. I guess I'll go back to my point is uh, we're all humans, right? Stay humanistic. You know, don't, it's not transactional. And if you really want to have a scalable business and make it last for years and have your brand be recognized and memorable, most importantly, then make sure your customer service support team is on point with your brand, your mission, your values to communicate that. And every message that they send, every transaction. Um, so that could be um, in the language, in the tone of your branding, in the messaging from those transactional emails. So you're not using the, the default native, you know, base template. You're customizing that to have a little bit of personality um, and make it your own and really owning who you are as a brand. And I think that goes a long way because there's more than ever, there's so many e-commerce websites out there, right? There's Absolutely. so many opportunities for someone to purchase on another competitor's website. So how do you set yourself apart? So keeping it real, I guess, is the, the high level way to say that. So good. I love the advices that don't come back to like, build this thing. No. Implement that. Yeah. Thing. It's about being human. Exactly. All right. Last question for you. Favorite sandwich right now? Ooh, muffaletta. Do you know about know. the muffaletta? No, I don't even know what that is. So it's like a New Orleans Italian sandwich with an olive tempanade. Um, it was originated in New Orleans, at least. Uh, a couple couple places are starting to pop it up, but it's basically a bunch of cold-cut meats, uh, and they make uh, pimento and Castelvetrano olives as a tempanade, so you get that little olive brininess to it, um, but it's on like a nice, fat, seeded, sesame seed bread. Now everyone's hungry, and now it's time for lunch. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Galen, thank you for joining. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Lucid. So I started Lucid 21, over 21 years ago in New Zealand. Um, it was my first and only year of college and I wasn't really feeling it. And so I was like, I'm going to start a freelance agency and yeah, freelance for until like 2006, uh, hired my first teammate then and grew from there. Um, started working with Shopify in 2006. Wow. So just stumbled across it, I think through the Ruby on Rails community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we sort of just have been part of the Shopify space since the very beginning, partners Amazing. and, um, ex, you know, par Shopify partners, Shopify plus partners, like we've kind of been there through all of it and built themes for the theme store, apps for the app store, and now mostly more and more, um, uh, consultative kind of guidance, helping brands make better decisions is kind of where we're sort of pivoting more and more, um, still doing implementation for sure. But um, yeah, this is probably something that I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about, but the, the changes that are happening in the industry that are kind of leading to some of the changes that are happening for us at Lucid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We've definitely been around the block. I'm excited to get your input on it. <laughs> so, so let's talk kind of with your contextual history. You've been around, you've seen everything change over the course of you know, 20 plus years. Where do you see the industry moving next? There's obviously a lot of issues that are outside some people's control. Know, obviously, coming out of, out of a pandemic, supply chain issues are always there, uh, iOS issues, privacy, things like that. Um, where do you see we're going in the next 6, 12, 18 months? Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about this at the moment, I think as everybody is really. And that's been something that I've um, been encouraged with this event is there's a kind of definitely a unity. And I'm sure it's not intentional with a lot of the speakers and the panelists and stuff. There's um, as we come out of the pandemic, there's, and, and with the private, so everything you said, really, there's some big changes coming. And I think that it's, um, it's, we're going to see two major things happen. We're going to see a, a significant realignment of growth, um, or, or resetting in some ways, um, the hard reality in the next 
six to 12 months for sure. I think um, where growth is not going to be as fast as it was. Right. Um, and because um, I think acquisition uh, and retention is something that I've been hearing a lot of and I'm, I'm always really passionate about, but I think brands are going to be taking a lot more seriously. And, and as a result of the need for a stronger focus on acquisition and retention is, is how we need to be, we need to be, brands need to be more nimble and have the tools to move faster with, with their websites so that they can tell their story. Cause story absolutely, absolutely matters. And how can brands tell their story more freely um, and iterate more quickly based on what's happening in the market, how, you know, based on their, their marketing campaigns. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, for us, certainly at Lucid, and I think we're going to see this, I think we're going to see a rapid shift in the industry is taking a more low-code, no-code approach to how we build websites and tooling, how we use platforms like Recharge. Um, I think the days of, for, for let's say 80% of the brands out there, they really don't need a custom solution. Right. They, they need a best practice, fun, you know, foundational solution that, 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 builds on all the things that we've done a thousand times before the industry's been doing for a decade or whatever, or, you know, exponential learnings, like what, why brands tend to have a lot of strong opinions um, or the, the people leading the projects, but they don't necessarily know the problems that they're trying to solve. And so how can we give better tooling with, with tools like recharge and other um, platforms that building a stack of kind of best practice that they can tell their story, engage with their audiences, engage with their customers, retain and you know and grow um and i think that by moving away from this idea that you kind of have to do everything from scratch and everything has to be unique most of it doesn't have to be unique the, the, the stuff that's unique is your story your products your your mission and purpose um sustainability i like that thread coming through a lot of things at the moment um and i think i think also i've been hearing like i, I like the panel earlier talking about investment and how for most brands and tech companies, like investment isn't probably going to be the answer. It's not even recommended by the investment. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And, um, but I also like, um, I, I really like the concept and I think this is easily overlooked is that we tend to have short memories, but we also don't think that far ahead. And so when there's a blip, we get, we stumble and we give up or we just get disheartened, but we also don't plan far ahead. Um, and I think as we come off the, this huge hump of <laughs> the pandemic where things have been you know, people have been drinking from the fire hose for right. certain people have other people sure. haven't. Yeah. It's going to be, there's going to be a reality check. Um, and so that the brands that are building based on their passion for what they're doing are going to be the ones that succeed in, as they ramp up back out of this kind of dip that we're probably going to suddenly right. see soon. Right. Lots of lessons to take from that for sure. <laughs> one, of, one of the panels, actually our opening keynote, um, we were showing the, the Apple stocks and the Amazon stocks, yeah. but they're exactly in the same place now that they were pre yeah. So we've kind of had this, you know, amazing bull run for a couple years, but now we're right back at ground zero again. And a lot yep. of new lessons have been learned and a lot of yep. ups and downs and trying to figure things out. Like you said, you're getting from the fire hose, but we're right back to the beginning now and there's still a ton of opportunity, but you have to figure out, do we need to go custom? Do we need to do everything super unique or do we just tell our unique story? Yeah. Like that's a, it's a tough conversation to have internally as a brand, but it's an important one. Yeah. And I think that, um, like two, two thoughts on that is that I, I like the, um, the, so the, uh, those graphs I saw as well, which is it's, it's remarkable. There's like a huge mountain between 2020 and now, 
Um, um, and I think, but, but what is easy to overlook is there's going to be, I've heard it, the term of the pandemic hangover. And I think that um, that is going to take a while is so that the acquisition costs are way higher than they ever were. Your cost of goods, your cost of logistics and fulfillment is higher. So there's actually a whole lot of things working against these brands as they try to come out this other side. So they've had this tremendous growth. They probably built bigger teams during this time. And certainly for me as an agency founder, um, we've gone through some major changes. Um, and, but I'm looking at, you know, other agencies have gotten so much bigger through the pandemic. There's going to be a hard reality because the work is going to be very different. And this is why I think for us, you know, we are pivoting to being a smaller agency, focusing more on best practices and strategies to help brands move faster without the technical debt of kind of custom solutions. And again, like to, to your, yeah, what you said, like tell your unique story, help, help them tell their unique story more freely. So you think we're moving to a world where you don't necessarily need to hard sell everything and why your brand is so super cool because of all this tech that you have. It's really more about, you know, here's what we stand for. Here's our mission, like you said earlier. This is why we do what we do. We'll get us out of bed in the morning. And then you have the, the tools in the background that are flexible enough for you to kind of manipulate around those corners, but still move fast enough to, to get the job done. Yeah, I, um, exactly. I think that um, I think the, the, web, the interface of the website more and more like why are we reinventing the wheel constantly? Right. I think that um, I think we're going to also this is another in another shift I, th I think I see happening really quickly is that e-commerce sites are going to be less transactional, even though, of course, they're going to continue growing. Um, and of course, performance and CRO matters significantly. But I think what we're going to find is that um, consumers are shopping around based on price, but based on like convenience and trust. And so the, the brand websites, we're already seeing it and it's going to happen more quickly, I think, is that they go to the websites of the individual brands to read up on it, to find out more about, to, 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 to get excited, to, you know, because they, they are ultimately fans of the product, right. but they're, they're probably not going to buy from them directly because brands historically have not been doing a great job of saying like, how, how quickly are we going to ship it out and how quickly is it going to get to you? What happens? The return policies are often a little murky. They know exactly what they're going to get with Amazon or they're going to buy it from Pinterest or Instagram or yep. Facebook. Um, but they are going to probably more and more, they'll go and they'll read up on it and they'll, and you know, maybe they'll register their warranty or they'll join your loyalty club. And then, you know, if you can engage them enough to convince them to stay that being part to buying direct, I think, People care more about buying direct. I certainly do, but I still find myself going to the site and going, oh, I need it in two days. I just don't know when it's going to get here. So I am, I hate this. You know, I'm going to buy it from Amazon. And I think that um, brands need to, they need to embrace, and again, the panelists were talking about this yesterday, friend or foe, and they're like, it's, it's complica complicated, right? And um, I think that that, so it, it comes back though to what I was saying earlier about it. story does absolutely matter. And so that the individual sites of the brands really matter, but they're going to become more about building long-term that, that long, what we, you know, the, the, the long tail view of retention. Um, you might not acquire them on the first sale, right. but you, you, if you do a good job and they love the unboxing experience, even if you got it from Amazon, they love the packaging, they might come back and buy from you the second time and become a loyal long-term customer. And this brings up such an interesting question that I love, I love talking about and getting other people's opinions here, but wh where is the balance between making sure you're profitable on the first sale or maybe second sale, or also leaning in and, and understanding that you are trying to build a sustainable brand for the future, for a long-term relationship. 
in that mm-hmm. if if you are targeting customers or if you're getting customers that are just going to churn after a month or two or an order or two, if it's weekly, whatever it is, are those just not the right customers and you need to just start marketing other places and finding other ways to do that? Like, where, where's the balance between that? That is a really good question. And I think that, um, and obviously the answer is totally different if you're subscriptions or non-subscriptions. And I think that by and large, I would probably go out on a limb and say that is your fir- are your first customers profitable they're probably by and large for most brands probably not and i think that um, most brands underestimate or absolutely they underestimate the cost of acquisition because they're not they don't have the data this is a huge problem in the industry there's not enough data that's easily accessible and easily interpretable of um where your costs truly are so most brands are not paying a lot of of attention even the cost of goods let alone the cost of the traffic the cost of of um of yeah, paid media and um, and logistics and shipping. So they're, they're, I don't think that most brands are fully aware of their costs at all. And um, and the hidden costs of acquiring a first customer are significantly higher than they appear. So um, again, yeah. So maybe that's you know the point that those first customers are off probably not going to make you a lot. And so you, it's even more important to have a strong story, great customer service, um, uh, so that they come back. And if you don't have a product that you can sell over and over, it's, that it's either repeatable or giftable, right. you've got a tough business. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Giftable is another really interesting one. Um, as everybody grows, you want to start doing gifts as well. It's just a totally different audience. Now, instead of targeting one customer, you're targeting yeah. the person who's buying it and the target. And that's that's huge potential for growth if you can make if you can figure out how to create a giftable aspect to your product because then people, your customers become ambassadors and they they give it to other people, who then give it to other people. That's just the key, though, is if they can figure it out. That's always the tough part. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, closing question for you. What's a piece of advice you'd give to a brand who is scaling? Kind of figure out their product, they figure out their why, they understand you know, they're getting their cost of acquisitions in a good spot, uh, retention's looking decent. What are some ways that they can kind of continue scaling and continue optimizing that brand? Yeah, um, that's easy. Uh, um, I, a short answer is, um, those, the brands that are scaling should really focus on um, best practices and let less, you know, whims and opinions of directing what needs to happen and like going like, what are all the fundamentals? How are we doing, you know, on a scale of one to five of there's a dozen or so fundamentals, like do a kind of assessment and audit of your business of where are we at on those? You'll find you're probably like at a two or three for most of those. Um, and you know, get all of your, your fundamentals up to, you know, three or four. And then ultimately, you know, if you're a five out of five on your fundamentals, you'll have a really successful business. But if you get hung up in the, the thousand small minutia, you will just be going around and around in circles, doing busy work and never really moving the needle. So yeah, fundamentals first. Just saying build a strong foundation. You, know, you can paint the house, whatever color you want, but you got to make sure the walls are going to stand up. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Galen, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.